Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome, welcome back. I'm Dr. Tamara Beckford with the Dr. Tamara Beckford Show. Okay, so I have a very, very important guest today. We are going to be talking about careers and balancing careers. Now, we all know about that as physicians, right? But there's some of us physicians who decided to do medicine plus entrepreneurship, but my other doctor that I have today is balancing all of that. Plus she's a scientist. Alrighty. So we're talking about a triple threat today, <laughs> a triple threat. I'm really excited to just have you on. Now, for those of you who are looking at your like, really, what's going on? How are we going to talk about all this? Have no fear. And then for those of you who are like, oh my gosh, Dr. Beckford, there you go again. You know that I want to catch all of this, but I'm not going to be able to have like, you know what? You can catch this wonderful episode on our Your Caring Docs website, U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S.com. And select podcast, you'll see my guest's beautiful face, and boom, you'll be able to listen to all of today's episode. Just download it and share it with a friend. Alrighty, so let's get in this without further ado. Alrighty, so my guest today is a graduate of the Duke University School of Medicine, where she earned, and not only did she earn, she was the first person to earn an MD and a PhD in computer science. She is a mud fud, y'all. We call it the mud fud community. Woo-hoo! <laughs> there are a handful of them over there. She did her research focus, her research focus in artificial intelligence methods for developing applications. She has a passion for leveraging AI to benefit both docs and patients. Her AI and medical blog, which is called Glass Box Medicine, has over 500,000 views from over 170 countries. Her academic publications have been cited over 300 times, right? She is the founder and CEO of Psydoc, which is a health tech startup whose mission is to create a modern AI-native electronic medical record that automates administrative tasks to enable docs to Spend less time on the computer. Now, all of us know that oh, those administrative tasks, she is avoiding the click the click by death. That's what I call it. Death by, no, actually, I call it death by clicking, which is what we all have been doing, clicking our way to arthritis and everything else. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about our research scientist, physician, entrepreneur, Dr. Rachel Drano. Welcome, 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 Doc. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, I'm super excited. And we're going to dig right in to this whole thing. All right, before we get deeper into the AI portion and all this wonderful stuff you're doing, we're going to bring it way back. So tell me, when is it that you decided that, you know what, I want to be a doctor? When did that happen? That is a great question. So uh, I know for some people, it was when they were super, super young. Uh, like little three. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, it was actually later. Um, so when I was growing up, I had a lot of interest in a lot of different things. And my career plans uh, were constantly changing. So there would be days when I wanted to be a writer, and days when I wanted to be a scientist, and days when I wanted to be a doctor, and days when I wanted to be a veterinarian. and just had all these ideas swirling around. I, love it. Um, I actually started college pre-vet. 
And mm -hmm. then throughout college, had a variety of different experiences with shadowing and research that eventually got me really interested in going into human medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and then I learned about MD-PhD programs and thought that sounded super fun because I could combine medicine with doing research, which is another one of my interests. So uh, it, it ended up, you know, through a series of, of many different experiences uh, when I was in college uh, is when mm -hmm. I made the decision. I love it. I love it. So we were like, okay, I'm going to be a vet. I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to be a scientist. And you had like all of these ideas. And was there any like thing that really brought on all of those ideas when you were younger? Like, was it like, oh, I saw this person or I saw the show or like, what was it that really piqued your interest that made you like say, oh, I like this. I like that. It was, I think, different for each of them. So sometimes it was that I, uh, tried something. So like in the example of writing, you know, I, I would try writing. I thought it was fun um, mm -hmm. for, you know, veterinary medicine, human medicine, um, marine biology, you know, any of those other interest, interests, a lot of those came out of career days. So uh, mm -hmm. schools would often have the career days where all these people would come in and talk about their jobs and what they did. And uh, I, I was really inspired by the people who came to speak at those. So it, it was a variety of different sources, I think. I love it. The career day and you'd leave like, oh, my God, that is so cool. I love it. So even marine biology went in the, the, the picture. So you were almost a mean bi marine biologist, almost vet. <laughs> like, I love it. <laughs> Alrighty. So now, you know, we've kind of shifted here, shifted there and then decided to do medicine. So we're like, OK, I'm going to go into medicine human medicine, because you already started in the pre-vet and then you decided to shift over to human medicine. So when was it that you found out about the PhD program? Like, were you already in medical school or did you see it and apply for it as a combined program going into medical school? I had applied for the combined program. So mm -hmm. um, I actually found out that the combined program existed uh, quite late in college. Uh, so I, I, I think it was just a random Google search that I did. And I came across some web page that from some university that had a description of the combined program. And then from mm -hmm. there, I realized, oh, this is actually a thing at a lot of different schools. And there's a component that's through the NIH. And so I got really excited about doing the combined program. And I applied um, for both together. Love it. Love it. Alrighty. So how was it for you doing an MD PhD? A lot of us, I mean, I knew some people in the class before mine, like I know, um, you know, a couple people who have done, but it's, there are not many who do the MD PhD. Like, you know, there are most that do MD like, like me. So how was the experience doing an MD PhD for those who don't know, or haven't like thought about it? kind of walk them through how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was it was a great experience overall. Um, very, very grateful that I was able to do it. Uh, I love learning. And so it was perfect to be able to learn for a mm -hmm. uh, very focused way for a long period of time. And I think, um, so I guess first, like the structure of it, uh, since I went to Duke, their structure is a little different than most places. So most places you'll do two years of medical school lecture, your PhD, and then two years of clinicals. But um, Duke, because they have a different uh, curriculum structure for the medical school, you do one year of lecture, one year of clinicals, your PhD, and then your last year of clinicals. And okay. what is normally the third year of medical school becomes your PhD, since normally people will do research during their third year. So it works out um, particularly well for um, doing the combined program. And uh, in terms of the experience, med school and grad school were really different. So um, <laughs> yes. yeah, 
So I think uh, in, in med school, I would say the best part for me was that um, in medicine, you have this really powerful impact directly on a, another human being who's right there in front of you. And um, it, that's a really remarkable experience. Um, and in terms of you know what you're learning, you're learning huge amounts of content across mm -hmm. this really wide range of areas. Um, and then in, in grad school, it's really different because um, you get really focused on what your specific research project is, and you learn so much stuff about this really, really narrow slice of science. <laughs> Um, and then in terms of like, what is the upside? It's this kind of more abstract upside where, at least for me, the best part was the feeling of, oh, I, I came up with something new or I discovered something new. That's, that mm -hmm. was a really good feeling. Um, but, but it's a lot more abstract than like, oh, look, here's a human and like, yeah, like, like you're like all the body parts already exist in the human. Like you're not discovering <laughs> a body part, right? Yeah. Uh, so it was definitely an adventure and, uh, yeah, there were lots of. Lots of crazy stories from uh, all, all parts of the training <laughs> process. I love it. I love it. So you got to use like both parts of your brain and personalities in that like the direct impact where you're getting that fulfillment of being able to make a difference immediately. And then also that part where you get to discover something new and to bring that to life right? Which is what's going on in the research portion. Alrighty. So now the way that you've described it, how long was your entire journey? Because I know that some like MD PhD programs are like around maybe six, seven, eight years. Like how you described it as if like you came out at four. It was eight. It was oh, eight okay. Years. Woo. I <laughs> So my PhD took five years, um, which uh, the average for the computer science department at Duke is five and a half. So mm -hmm. I was really glad I could Woo, make off half a year. Um, <laughs> yeah, since you have the you know return to med school always has to be in the, at a certain date. So if it had been yeah anyway, if five and a half would have turned into six, and yeah, it, it worked out well. So I, I had uh, eight years total. Okay, love it, love it. All right, so now there, the passion for artificial intelligence so while you were doing and creating in the research portion like what was it that you because did you go in saying like oh i think i might want to do research on artificial intelligence or did you go in and then started to develop this love and this passion during this research portion tell us that about that part yeah so um that was actually something where when i started the program i had no idea i was going to do anything with ai my mm -hmm. plan uh when i started was that i was going to do research in computational genomics and i was going to become a clinical medical geneticist and then i was going to have an academic medical career there we go <laughs> that was my plan uh and then several things happened that that sort of changed the plan so i i think the biggest one was that when i started uh, when I started grad school, I had to choose a research lab and there was a research lab that I was really thinking of was going to join that did a lot of computational genomics, but there were a lot of um, kind of logistical issues that arose and there were some issues with the project I was supposed to take over. And so at that point, I just kind of because of logistics, I started looking for other labs. And mm -hmm. as I was going around talking to different professors and saying, hey, I'm really interested in doing something computational that intersects with medicine, everybody kept telling me, go talk to Professor Larry Karen. And I finally went to talk to him after like four people told me I had to talk to him. And uh, his research sounded so cool. He had this huge lab that was doing all kinds of really interesting AI, some of it um, completely unrelated to medicine, some of it in direct collaboration with 
physicians in the hospital system. And I thought this just seems really exciting. So I ended up joining his research group and that was how I got into AI. I actually had no uh, initial <laughs> plans for it and I just kind of got pulled into it. And then the more I learned, the more exciting it became. I love it. I love it. So now you got explored. Well, you got your foot into the AI world. Now you move from that to not just putting your foot or, you know, the toe into it. Like you just went like straight in. So now you're like submerged in the AI world <laughs> and you've graduated the first person. Now I know sometimes people like to say like the first woman, the first, the first person to graduate with the MD, PhD in computer science. From and Duke, yes. <laughs> from Duke University, from Duke. So Duke is like, yes, we did it. We got our first person graduating with the MD, PhD in computer science and fully submerged now into this world of artificial intelligence. And then you've decided to, you know what, I'm going to go even further into this world and start looking into Psydoc. So tell us how that came about. Absolutely. So that came from really both arms of the uh, <laughs> pathway. So uh, at the point at which I, I founded Psyduck was I was about halfway through the program. So I'd had um, my lecture year of med school, first clinical year of med school, and then the beginning of my PhD. And um, at that point, th there were a few things that came together. So one was that during um, my 13 months of initial clinical rotations, I was really quite astonished by the state of electronic health record software. I kind of imagined it being far more uh, modern and sophisticated. And I just remember having days where I was like clicking through generic laboratory test result, waiting five seconds for the PDF to load, scrolling through the PDF, trying to figure out, is that the right test? Oh, it's not. Go back to the list. <laughs> this is insane. Like, why, why is it like this? Or, you know, someone comes in and they have this huge box with paper records from 15 outside hospitals. And as a medical student, I'm the only person who has time to look at that stuff because everyone else on the team is, you know, really busy doing, doing all, all the things. So like sifting through this huge box and thinking, why is this not electronically shared? Like, why is there no good way to easily summarize all these records? <laughs> like, this is insane. So there was that from the clinical side. And then during my PhD, I worked on a lot of um, so, so a lot of the, the type of AI I was doing is machine learning, which is all database. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I worked on all this data that was pulled out of the electronic medical record and saw from the data side how chaotic it is. So it basically, <laughs> the, the data like underneath a lot of these systems is almost like someone took a filing cabinet and just threw it into a computer. And we're like, yes, good enough, we're done. Uh, <laughs> I love so, it. Yeah, I, I just got very... Um, I was deeply concerned about the state of electronic medical records from both the actual like clinical use in terms of how frustrating it is for clinicians to use um, and also like negatively impacting patient care that the software is so clunky. And then also on the data side, it's this really big limitation to being able to do analytics and gain insights from the data because um, the data is really messy. So I decided to start Psydoc with the goal of building a new electronic medical record system that addresses those issues. Yes. Yes. Alrighty. So one of the things that I think is so interesting and it's true is that which you have <laughs> so rightly stated is you have this set of paper like records and they're like, oh, now we have it electronically, but it's really just dumped in. And so you're still scrolling for days and like, you know, or even if you did have it from all the different areas, it's not summarized. So mm -hmm. you're just like, okay, so all of hospital A, all of hospital B, 
So if a patient goes to hospital A from January till March, hospital B from like, you know, June until, I don't know, August, and then hospital A back in uh, like December, hospital A has no idea what's going on between June and August. <laughs> and it's just like, well, there's a gap, you know? And so I love the fact that you're like, oh my God. How can we merge and get all this information? Because what's so important about what you're talking about is how it affects patient care. Because the doctor who's looking at this information, this huge gap line, the patient might not be able to fill in what happened during that gap. You know, a lot of times the information, even if you are explaining it to patients, if they're a lot of info, they can capture but so much. Can you imagine when someone is explaining something from a completely different, um, even not even like system to you? Like, you know, like you are a mechanic and then the mechanic, or your, like your mechanic is explaining to you, like you're not a mechanic. And he's like, well, you know, the struts and the this and the this, and you're looking like, uh huh, uh huh. Well, that's yeah, what exactly. patients are doing. That's what's happening to our patients, <laughs> like, you know? So, and then, you know, can you imagine when you go home and you're like, so what did the mechanics say? You're like, I don't know, something about struts. That's exactly what's happening when the patients are trying to gather all this info we're dumping on them. So I think it's important what you're mentioning from both standpoints. So from the patients and from the physicians. So how is it that PsyDoc you feel like will be able to help with this information overload, paper overload, click death by clicking that's happening in medicine? <laughs> I have uh, documents upon documents of ideas, but I'm to distill it down into there, there's basically some core principles that we're going off of. So mm -hmm. one of them is um, to take the user interface design really seriously and to actually have physicians and clinical people involved in designing the interface because for a Man. lot of say that again, say that again for those in actually the back. have doctors, <laughs> clinical people help design the interface. <laughs> Uh, which, I mean, it sounds so obvious, but for a lot of EHRs, they started out just for administrative people, and then they kind of tacked on clinical stuff afterwards, and they never actually got any clini any clinician input into how it should look or what the workflows were. So that's a really foundational thing. Uh, <laughs> make sure that the people who will ultimately be using the software have a say in how it's put together. Mm -hmm. um, and then another really key piece is making sure the data is organized super, super well. Uh, and that kind of has positive feedback loops because if you organize the data really well, then it helps you have a simpler and cleaner interface. And, and if you have a simpler and cleaner interface, it helps you organize the data. So it's this kind of synergy that can arise mm -hmm. from making sure both of those things are taken care of. Um, and then when you add in the AI piece, you know, maybe there's certain interfaces we don't even need anymore. So for example, if, you know, billing was fully automated, then you wouldn't need to have a whole bunch of complicated billing interfaces because that could just happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, like when you're talking about the different interfaces, one of the things for us in emergency medicine that just happened, well, now it's one year old, is that they switched over from saying like, you know, different portions of a chart which we have the HPI, and then we're down to the medical, the MDM, which is the medical decision-making. So for emergency medicine, um, you know, starting in January of 2023, they said the medical decision-making part is the part of the chart now where you put everything. 
But guess what? We're still like using the HPI part because our electronic medical records still have the HPI, which is the history of the presented illness. So for those who are not in medicine, when you come in and you're telling the doctor, yeah, then this happened and then this happened. And then this is why I showed up in your office. That's our HPI portion. And then we start to do the review of systems and we're asking you, does this hurt? Did that hurt? Did that happen? Tell me about this. You know, that's our part. And then we start touching on you and like, blah, 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 blah. does it hurt when I press here, press there? That's our physical exam. Now, all of that, they said is no longer quote unquote needed to document. We can put all of that in the MDM. But we're kind of like, so we don't need to ask eight and 10 points and blah, 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 blah. Now you just need it in the MDM. But we don't have something that's formatted just for the MDM. So Dr. Jalos, we need you because we're still documenting over here in the HPI, documenting over here, and then repeating all the stuff in the MDM section. So guess what? I'm repeating my work. I'm taking time and doing the same thing over and over because I want to make sure the billing department can capture what they need in this billing. So you can see how time consuming and how frustrating it is from my end to have to do this thing twice. Absolutely. And, <laughs> I, mean, I don't think there's anyone out there who thinks, oh yeah, you know, I really want to become a doctor so that I can sit on a computer and do a bunch of data entry for several hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like poking and data entering at the same time. So alrighty. So where do you see all of this going in the future? Because, um, you know, artificial intelligence, there's some people who are afraid of it and they're like, oh my gosh, now that it's here, it's going to take away my job. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, so I actually just wrote a blog post on uh, projected uh, kind of labor market effects of specifically large language models. Um, I'm, I'm currently, so I've been thinking about this a lot because mm -hmm. uh, the, especially, so large language models, you know, ChatGPT, all the other ones, they've been taking the world by storm and it's it's interesting because i remember when, when i was still a phd student the, seeing the results of the early versions of them they'd be like the cat went outside 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 and they would just get stuck in these loops and <laughs> they're like so much better now and so i i think it's it's a really um serious topic to think about and mm -hmm. if i kind of break it down in two parts there's sort of the uh large language model part and then there's mm -hmm. like a robotics part so on the large language model side um there's a interesting paper that came out recently which is what i summarized in, in my recent blog post where they were uh basically trying to estimate what are going to be the effects on jobs from that and the most affected careers are uh writing and programming so that makes mm -hmm. sense because basically writing and programming what are you doing you're producing text and that's exactly what these models are really good at so the right. probably the people most affected by those particular models will be uh people who are currently working full-time in, in writing and programming. And then mm -hmm. the, on the flip side, the people who will be least affected by large language models are people who do things that are like in the physical world, hands-on kind of stuff. So like if, you, um, uh, if you're like a bricklayer or like you do construction work or something, that is, I mean, large language models are not gonna touch that because they're, they're all ab abstract. They're not actually in the physical world. Um, but then you add in, when you add in the robotics component, that raises even more questions for me because uh, I, I know there have been, even just in the past few months, some really impressive advances in robotics. So I saw this viral YouTube video of the new Google robot that was washing dishes and making the bed and all this stuff. <laughs> I don't know how cherry picked the video was, but it was still very impressive to me. So mm -hmm. I, I am actually legitimately concerned about um, what is going to happen to society in the next few decades when 
all of these advances sort of come together and it becomes possible to automate a lot more than um, once could be automated. So, I mean, I, I know that there will be large effects on jobs. My personal take specifically for medicine is that the point at which we can automate a doctor is the point at which no one has a job. So like if you can take all the mental skills that doctors have and then you can take all the hands-on skills that doctors have. If you had some kind of artificial system that could do all that, there's nobody on this earth who has a job at that point. And mm -hmm. we're living in some kind of totally different society. So uh, yeah, I... I don't have all the answers, but it's definitely uh, a very interesting time that we're living in, and I am I'm curious to see what happens in in the next couple decades. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because like you're mentioning, as you you mentioned about the two different labor forces, where you have um, like those who are writers and you know versus the robotics or the the manual type of labor. If we really, as I sat and I listened to that, I'm like. Yeah, that's kind of us <laughs> in medicine, where you have a lot of the hands-on, which are like, you know, the surgeons, the, um, like those, but I do emergency medicine. Some of what I do is hands-on, um, but yeah, I mean, suturing and like, you know, doing the trauma portion might take a little bit, but I mean, let me see. I mean, right, right now, it, it, you know, things that even even things that humans think of as like it's not, it, you know, it's it's not something where like it's super difficult for a person to like put a stethoscope on someone's chest. But even getting a robot to like do that kind of thing, it's it's difficult. Like you, it's mm -hmm. it's hard to get robots to the point where you could do like even a basic physical exam or even being able to understand things like oh, having like a robot like palpate someone's abdomen and have any sort of way of like understanding, understanding. that is difficult. And so mm -hmm. I I think that. Um, and I, I really think that out of the whole spectrum of all these different kinds of jobs that are out there, um, if, if we can automate doctors, we can automate anybody. <laughs> <laughs> because we, we use so many modalities at the same time. And I'm glad that you're yeah. able to break down that part because I think sometimes us as doctors, because we're doing what we're doing on a consistent basis, we don't realize like how intricate what we do is. You know, yep. and what you just mentioned, I re think really just brought that to my attention where it's easy for us to say like, okay, I put my stethoscope on and listened to the heart and listened to the lungs. But really when I did that, I was doing like tons of computation in my mind, combining that with what the patient already told me. Like, you mm -hmm. know, I am feeling a tightness in my chest and I'm listening to the heart, listening to the lungs. So the heart is beating excessively fast. The lungs, I'm here wheezing. I'm now using that plus the information, which is the age of my patient, their medical um, history, you know, or even their lack thereof, right? So it's like you can have a medical history. Like if you're in your 60s and you just did not go to the doctor and then all of a sudden all of this is happening, yeah, you can feed stuff into a computer when they have all this information, but what about the part when they don't have that information? And that's what us as doctors, we use, right? I'm like, oh, your pressures are like two tens over 170. You just had the sudden onset of breathing issues. You're wheezy, but your lungs also sound very wet. You're in respiratory distress. You're tightening and you're holding on and your heart rate's high. I'm like, hmm, sounds like flash pulmonary edema. Boom. 
but I'm using my medical acumen, I'm using my physical skills, I'm using what I know, and also using, of course, information from gap that I've gathered. It's interesting to know that I won't be replaced next week. Because oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there is no assistant out there right now that could that could do all that stuff or, you know, even, a, even, a, you know, half of it. And, and I mean, doctors are, are doing so many sophisticated things at the same time, synthesizing mm -hmm. so much information. And also doctors and, and humans in general are really good at picking out anomalies or weird things or understanding yeah. weird things. And that's precisely the kind of thing where these large machine learning systems uh, even the really sophisticated ones can still really struggle because they rely on having lots of examples in order to learn. And mm -hmm. if they only ever had like one example of something, if they see that again, they may have no way of handling it. Whereas people uh, and, and in a medical saying doctors, they're really good at, you know, here's this long tail of distribution of like <laughs> all this weird stuff that people could have. And I mean, doctors aren't like only fixated, like, oh, there's only like two things it could be. So I'm only ever going to consider those two. It's like a fundamental thing to consider like, oh, well, it could be other stuff too. And that's, that's another thing where um, it's still definitely not solved in AI. How would you handle this kind of huge diversity of, of all the things that could go wrong with somebody? I love it. I love it. Alrighty. So now we're bringing it back to like, um, now that we know all of this, right? But there's still all of this administrative task that's <laughs> that you have to underlie. And that's what you are here, you know, helping. So tell us a little bit more about Psydoc. Now that I know that my job is secured for at least a couple more decades, tell me a little bit more of how we as doctors will be able to use Psydoc and then how the patients will also be able to use it. Sure. So Psydoc, uh, I think about sort of in phases. So there's the phase that we're at now and the project we have now, and then there's where we're going. And I mm -hmm. can talk about both of them. Um, so right now we've started with, uh, since, you know, full-blown Electronic health record is a massively huge piece of software. We decided to start with something where you know, we can build something, get it out there, and um, then build the EHR off of it. And that first piece that we've built is um, something we're calling a smart patient intake form. So basically what it does is um, we're finding it saves around 10 minutes per outpatient visit by mm -hmm. um, both taking a chunk of the history from the patient automatically and then generating a little HPI or subjective section based off of that history that it took. So before you even see the patient, you get this little narrative that's summarizing, you know, this is why they're here, this is what they're experiencing, and you can use that as a starting point for a note and a starting point for the whole conversation. Um, so that's what we built out. Um, <laughs> it's live, it's up right now. Um, We're currently offering free trials. So anybody who wants to try it out, you're absolutely welcome to. And I'm super excited about how that is helping with um, this, you know, having to write all these notes <laughs> um, by getting part of the note auto automatically done beforehand. It, it really helps the conversation with the patient not be quite as uh, time pressured and focused on information gathering. So, um, so that's what we built. And then uh, we're aiming to, on top of that, build this full-blown electronic health record system. And for that, we've just submitted uh, a federal grant through the SBIR program. So keep my fingers crossed that that grant comes through and we can uh, use the foundation of this form that we've built to create a complete system that um, could eventually have a lot of different administrative tasks uh, automated. Wow. So the part that you have available, is this to, are you getting feedback? You're getting like, you know, doctors to use it so that you can get feedback to improve upon it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And is it for every specialty? Because one of the things I notice is that, all right, you know, I'm just mean, I'm picking because 
whenever we get our training <laughs> on the new AEHR, <clears throat> as an ER doc, one of the things that always happens is, hey, well, this is how it is, but for you guys, and keep hearing, but for you guys, but you in the ER, um, yours will be a little bit different. So like, you know, like for some strange reason, our system is different. So what you're building, at least so far, it doesn't sound like it needs to be different, but what you're building, it wouldn't be um, something that pediatricians, general surgeons, family medicine, internal medicine, everyone would be able to use? Yes. So uh, the interface is consistent across all specialties. And what changes is the underlying content that uh, helps with gathering the information from the patient and generating the note. So basically the way it works is um, right now we have around 150 topics that are already included. And mm -hmm. there's a pretty big range of them, you know, chest pain, headaches, abdominal pain, COPD, diabetes, hypertension, it goes on. So we've got about 150 things. Um, and the way we currently have it set up is if you know a clinic says, you know, hey, I want to start using this, and then they look at our list of topics and they say, oh, great, you've already covered uh, a, you know, a large chunk of the, of the chief complaints that we see, then they can just immediately start using it. If there's a clinic that says, hey, I want to use this, and by the way, we really see patients with these five or six chief complaints that you don't have yet, then um, totally for free, we can just build out the content for those chief complaints, add it in, and then it's good to go in the new specialty area. So basically any doctor in any specialty who sees patients in an outpatient setting could uh, benefit from it. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Okay, love it. So I know a lot of people, and we'll talk about how they can have access to this um, soon because there are a lot of docs who are opening up like practices, private practices, um, direct care practices. And, you know, one of the biggest complaints is, oh, my God, the EHR, like, where can I find one? Da, 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 da. So we'll definitely make your information available to those um, people. So we'll talk about that really quickly. Before we get into that portion, I want to find out about, OK, so you did eight years in the MD PhD program and you're also a physician entrepreneur in the tech space right now have you ever experienced burnout I definitely have towards <laughs> um, the end of the eight-year program I was very burned out mm -hmm. and I mean maybe it's inevitable for just being so long and the kind of challenges of each part of it are are very different from each other so mm -hmm. I, I was I definitely got burned out by the end and mm -hmm. um it was one of those things where I'm just a really stubborn person. So I finished <laughs> it, <laughs> but I, I, I needed some time to like recover and reset and sort of mm -hmm. some things around in life to, to get back to a place where I was feeling better. Nice. So what did burnout look like for you? How did, how yeah. like, did it manifest? I, I think there were a couple ways. So um, one was, I just wasn't feeling my my energy so you know i'd wake up in the morning and instead of waking up and thinking oh great i'm gonna do blah 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 all these things today it's gonna be great i'd wake up in the morning and be like oh i'm really tired and like i don't mm -hmm. feel you know i don't feel like that kind of gung-ho i'm gonna i'm gonna head out there and do this so that, that was a big one is just not not feeling very energetic um another one was just like tending towards being more pessimistic than usual, yeah. um, which is something that like, when you get right towards the end of something, you, you want to like still have some shred of optimism. 
it was hard to like hold, it was hard to hold on to it so i knew that was that was really off for me mm -hmm. um and just like in general not feeling like as much kind of zest for life as as i as i had been so like i definitely knew something was off like i knew yes. i was burned out i was like i, I would take like burnout questionnaires and they you know even some really long ones they have like 100 questions burnout questions and i would get like like 95 of them or something they were like and you're like experiencing and they have like this huge like, <laughs> you're like, like in the red yes, zone yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like a textbook case of someone who's super burned out so uh yeah it was definitely uh definitely happening for me oh man so what is it that you did in order to get through that zone and what are you doing to prevent yourself from getting back that way yeah um there were a couple things so um i think one of them was um i did i did find a therapist that was really mm -hmm. helpful for getting some different person's perspective on like how to kind of arrange life and perceive life and nice. um, prioritize things mm -hmm. i also did like a lot of um writing and self-reflection and tried to figure out like what is it that i really want to get out of life mm -hmm. um i also <laughs> maybe this sounds a little bit dark but i like i feel like i came more to terms with my own mortality and like my own limitations as a person because yeah. for so much of my life I'd had this attitude of like if I just work hard enough I can do everything and mm -hmm. and it's only a matter of like I just have to push myself more and then I can do all the things I want to do and I basically got to a point where I was like actually I can't do all the things I want to do and I think where this really manifested for me was I needed to decide was I going to do residency after the MDPhD program or not and I'm not exaggerating. This was the hardest decision I've ever made because I had mm -hmm. all these reasons I really wanted to do residency. And then I also had my company and like I, I also had to have a daughter and like I had all these these other things happening in my life where I was like, well, I know that like if I do residency, that's a big commitment. I'm not going to be able to work on my company. I'm not going to see my daughter as much. And and I had this like huge internal struggle with myself. Yes. Right? Like, the The one part of me that was like, you're invincible. You can do everything. You just have to work hard enough. And then another part of me that's like, actually maybe you're a human being and <laughs> right and you need to like really figure out like what are you gonna you know maybe you have these these five or six things that you love but you can't do all five or six things and and i i think like there were a couple things that helped there one was like taking it as um like looking at it from an angle of self-compassion like mm -hmm. like if i was my if i was advising myself as another person mm -hmm. um and I was trying to be compassionate, like, what would I tell myself to do? That was helpful. And then um, the other thing was I saw this great quote that was like, uh, it, it, to kind of prioritize your life, make a list of like the top 20 things you want to do in your life, and then pick like X number from the top and focus on doing those, and then actively try to avoid doing all the other ones, because <laughs> those are the things that are going to be most tempting to suck you away from the higher priority ones. And I like, I, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, Quoting the exact, it's like, no, I understand. I know what I know. It's probably one of Brian Tracy's thing, too. <laughs> yeah, the, the original quote was like much more eloquent, but like that kind of mm -hmm. philosophy really helped me of like, oh, well, there's there's all these other things I could do that are like really good ways I could spend my time, but just for me, who I am as an individual, like, was going to work for me. That was helpful, definitely, definitely. And you're right, we've been able to prioritize your time. And I love that you said, I started to look at it as. I was advising myself as a person because a lot of us, especially in medicine, type A personalities and probably all the uh, different um, professions, our, unfortunately, at times, our remedy to improving things is to say, let me work harder, as opposed to let me take a step back, evaluate, 
and to determine on a list of priorities, what are my top priorities and where do I need to really focus my energy on things that are important to me? But we're like, no, let me just work harder. Whoa, but we haven't evaluated. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, so you're working harder, but you might be working harder on the wrong things mm -hmm. because you haven't taken that time to evaluate and prioritize your life. So I love the fact that you, you know, in addition to getting like, you know, professional help, you said, I got a therapist, but I also said and, and really said, okay, all right, Rachel. Okay. Let's sit and think about all of this. Like what is really important to you in life? And for you, it was your company, of course, your family. And like, how will this decision in A versus decision B affect you? Which one will make you happy, but still be able to be fulfilled, right? And boom, here you are. Here you are being able to do that. I love it. All righty. So here is my fun question of the day. Now you have done so many things. I have to take a lot of these things off the plate. All right. So if you weren't a doctor, research scientist, writer, veterinarian, you have to take all the things that you said. <laughs> um, you're do not doing anything with AI. What else did you mention? I'm thinking about when you were younger. What else? I don't think there was anything else that you mentioned. Okay. What would you be? Wow. There's <laughs> a lot of things off the list there. I know. <laughs> oh, that is a really difficult question. So the first two, I'll just share the first two things that popped in my head. And yes. you know, maybe I can psychoanalyze myself later. The the first thing that popped in my head was um, I might be like in fine arts. So Ooh, when I was a teenager. Yeah, I, I love painting. I mean, I still really enjoy painting. I just, out of all the all the things going on in life, I, I don't do it very much, but I really love painting. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I at one point I actually did consider pursuing a, a fine arts degree um, when, I, when I was in uh, high school. So that, that's one thing that popped in my head. And then the other thing that popped in my head is I, like this is, this is like a recurring, um, joke isn't necessarily the right word, but like it's a recurring comment that I make to, to my husband every time like things are very chaotic, where I tell him, you know, maybe, Maybe I'm just gonna throw in the towel and I'm gonna go sell coconuts in Hawaii. Like those people who like go collect all the coconuts and then they come to top of them and like give them to tourists. Oh like, yes. I will. I, there's like a. I think there's like a universe out there where like Rachel lives in Hawaii and like learns how to surf and sells coconuts and has like a totally different kind of life. So, and is like fully content and relaxed. And yeah. Like, so those are the those are the first two things that come to mind. Providing hydration to those walking on a hot summer's day on the beach. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> like there is there is nothing like. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love it. I will I will be one of those getting the coconut because I love coconut water. I love coconut water even more when it's coming from the fresh coconut. And then I love oh, eating good. the coconut jelly. So after you already cut the top of the coconut and give me to drink the water, you're gonna have to slice my coconut in half and then use one of the top to make a spoon so I can scoop out the inside. That's how oh, we do it. Totally. Yes, alrighty, <laughs> cool. We're gonna up level it. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Alrighty. So as we mentioned before, you know, you are providing this life at for us doctors and also you know for the patients where we're getting to reduce some of the burden that the doctors and the patients have to go through to help us to really um, improve life and improve the way that we can practice medicine that's beneficial for both the doctors and for the patients through your company Psydoc. So 
you have mentioned that you have a version that's available for our doctors to use to help with some of their intake forms. So mm -hmm. let them know where can they find you? What's available? Is there a cost to it? Anything? Tell them because I know a bunch of docs who are open in practices. I know docs who are, like I said, doing direct primary care. They're doing fee for service. And one of the biggest challenges is finding that electronic medical record. But you have something for them. So tell us where can they find you and what you have available. Yes. So um, you can find me in a couple places. So one is you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also find me via email. So my email is first name Rachel dot last name Dralos at cydoc.ai, which is cydoc.ai. That is also our website. And on mm -hmm. our website, there's a bunch of book a demo buttons. So if you want to book a meeting with me, uh, you can mm -hmm. use one of those buttons and, and book a meeting with me. Uh, in terms of like how can people use what we have out there, um, so for our note generation from patient intake forms, um, the easiest way to get that set up is to do that book a demo through our website. Um, the initial trial is very easy to set up. There's zero commitment. It's um, a couple weeks, totally free. And then after that, it's $99 per doctor per month. Um, it's currently compatible with any EHR. So basically the way it works is we have a um, QR code the patient can scan or a link that can be included in some automated reminder system. So the patient will fill it out beforehand. And then there's a web portal that has all of the notes pop up for the day. So um, it is, you know, downside is it is a separate window. Upside is it doesn't matter what EHR you're using, you can still benefit from the software because um, it you can just basically copy paste into the EHR. So uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is most convenient, LinkedIn, email, demo, anything. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Rachel Trelos, who's helping us to not die by clicking <laughs> and also helping to provide this medical information that is comprehensive, easy use. We can able to, like you said, to save 10 minutes per patient, right? Yes, 10 minutes per patient. That's what that's what we're seeing. We did a in terms of both the feedback that we're getting from people using it live, and then also we did a little research study, and it works out to 10 minutes a 10 minutes a patient either way. So it's wow. a lot of time. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So thank you so much, Dr. Rachel Dralos, who is helping us to save 10 minutes per patient in the outpatient setting with her wonderful new in addition to the your current EHR, she has this additional portion that can save you by just having all the information from your patients on set, boom, copy, paste it in your electronic medical records, already done, already. And this is through her wonderful company that's called SciDoc. So you can find her at SciDoc.ai, right? Online, yes. or Rachel.Trailos at SciDoc.ai. Or if you wanna just jump on LinkedIn, you can find her there too, <laughs> on LinkedIn. So all of this information will be available in the show notes for those of you guys who want to get in contact with Dr. Rachel. Now, here's the thing. I see some of you guys, and I see that you've been joining on here and there in between, and I know that you're like, ah, oh, there we go. I heard something about SciDoc, and I heard about ten, like saving 10 minutes. Wait, 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 what happens here? Okay have no fear. This wonderful conversation is available on our Your Caring Docs website. That's U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S.com. Select podcast. You'll see Dr. Dreyless's beautiful face. Download this episode. 
Send it to one of your doc friends. Send it to that doc friend that is behind with the charting that's like, oh my gosh, it's taking me forever. I'm taking charts home. It's taking me forever to finish my charts and I have tons of patience. Send it to that person. Send it to the doc who's like, I'm really good and I finished all my charts. But you can save 10 minutes per patient and you'll be able to add additional patients to your yeah, to the schedule during that day, if you have the ability to be more efficient, send it to that doc, right? Alrighty. So with that in mind, we're going to thank our doc for jumping on. But I know some of you guys are like, wait a minute, you know, I'm doing amazing things inside and outside of clinical medicine too. And I want to let others know. And I'm like, come on down. Just send me an email at drbeckford at yourcaringdocs.com to book. And do keep in mind, we're booked out a couple months in advance. And now you know why, right? You see this wonderful doc here. She's doing amazing things inside and outside of clinical medicine, just like you. And I want to capture you all. Now, for those of you guys who are out there and you're like, what about burnout and all the other stuff? She told me what she did. I know. And I have lots and lots and lots of information from all my docs about burnout and stress management. So if you are looking for an amazing speaker at your next event to talk about stress management and burnout prevention, send me an email at drbeckfordatyourcaringdocs.com. And I look forward to being in your next event and being a wonderful speaker there. If you're looking for somebody dynamic, contact me. All right. So with that, Dr. Jalos, thank you so much. You have any last words for anyone out there. I just want to say thank you so much for having me today. This was really fun. All right. Thank you so much. All righty, everyone. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you guys next time.